In Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse number 1, the prophet says, The word of the Lord came to me, and you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all of your abominations. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster, behold, it comes, an end has come. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near. A day of tumult, not a day of shouting and joy on the mountains. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. And I will punish you for all of your abominations. And my eye will not spare nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. He is the Lord who strikes. And he struck in the twelfth year of his exile, in the tenth month, and on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to the prophet Ezekiel saying, the city is smitten. The city is smitten. The city of God has been destroyed. There are bodies, bones, and blood everywhere. There is carnage everywhere. The temple has been destroyed. The walls have been smashed. And the splendor of Israel is gone. For centuries, God has warned his people about this day. For centuries, God has done all that he could to get his people prepared for this day. But sadly, for centuries, God's people, time and time and time again, failed to obey. And so now judgment has come. Now destruction has come. Now the city is smitten. Now the nation of Israel has been introduced to the God who strikes. After he struck, after all of the smoke settles, and after the dust clears, the Lord takes his faithful prophet by the hand, and he guides him in the middle of this valley, and it is full of bones. In Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse number 1, the prophet says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? That is the question. What do these bones represent? These dry bones represent the dry, hopeless, and helpless state of Israel. Because of their sin, the nation of Israel was like a valley that was full of dry bones. And here in this passage, the Lord is asking his prophet, can these bones live? Can the nation of Israel be revived? 
can God's people rise from the ashes and become an exceedingly great army? The prophet Ezekiel cries back to the Lord, O Lord God, you know. God responds to him in Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse number 4. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Verse 6, And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Verse 14, Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 14, The Lord says, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. The question is, Can these bones live? Can the nation of Israel be revived? Can God's people rise from the ashes and become this exceedingly great army? The answer is yes. Yes, these bones can live. The nation of Israel can be revived. With God, all things are possible. And here in Ezekiel chapter 37, we see that God had a desire for the prophet Ezekiel to help him allow this nation rise from the ashes. There were some things that Ezekiel had to do in order for these bones to live. The first thing that God expected Ezekiel to do in order for these bones to rise was see the problem. In order for these bones to rise, Ezekiel had to see the problem. Here in this passage, he is literally led in a valley and it is full of bones. He is led on the surface of the valley and he sees that they are very many and they are very, very dry. Dry bones, bleached bones, scattered bones. For any Jew, it was a humiliating and shameful thing not to be buried properly. It was humiliating for any deceased Jew's body not to be washed, wrapped, and placed in a tomb. Here in Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophet is witnessing a humiliating and shameful sight. He sees this valley full of corpses that have not been washed, they have not been wrapped, and they have not been neatly placed in a tomb. They have been scattered among this valley and left to rot. Ezekiel sees the bones, he sees the carnage, he sees the blood, he sees the chaos, he sees this mass devastation that was brought about because of the nation's sins. In order for this nation to rise from the ashes, the prophet had to see the problem. But not only that, in order for this nation to rise, Ezekiel had to see the power. After God guides him in the midst of this valley, and after the Lord asks him that question, can these bones live? God didn't ask him that question because the Lord was personally ignorant. The Lord didn't ask him, can these bones live? Because he lacked knowledge. And God didn't necessarily ask Ezekiel that question because he was expecting an answer. The Lord asked him that question to test his faith. The Lord wanted to know whether Ezekiel truly believed those dry bones could live. He wanted to know whether his prophet truly believed the nation of Israel could rise. The Lord asked Ezekiel that question, can these bones live so that Ezekiel would acknowledge his power? And that's exactly what the prophet did. 
He responded, oh Lord God, you know. You know I don't. I am ignorant, you are omniscient. I am weak, you are strong. I am powerless, you are powerful. With you, all things are possible. In that moment, Ezekiel was standing face to face with power. He was standing face to face with the power of God. In that moment, he recognized God was capable of resurrecting that dry, hopeless, and helpless nation into an exceedingly great army. He saw the problem. He saw the bones. He saw the chaos. He saw all of these problems. And then he saw the power. But not only did he see the bones, not only did he see the power, but he spoke to the fallen. In order for these bones to rise, Ezekiel had to speak to the fallen. God asked him, can these bones live? Ezekiel cried back, oh Lord God, you know. And God said to him in verse number four, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. If these bones are going to rise, if this nation is going to rise, then you must prophesy. You must speak to them. And I don't want you to tell them Ezekiel's thoughts and feelings. I don't want you to tell them Ezekiel's opinion. I don't want you to tell them some other man's thoughts and feelings. I don't want you to tell them some other man's opinion. I want these dry bones to hear the word of the Lord. The only way that this nation can rise is if they hear the word of the Lord. You must prophesy and you must speak. And that's exactly what he did. In verse number 7, Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked. And behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. How wonderful is that? Because the prophet prophesied, because he spoke, because he declared the word of the Lord, all of a sudden there was this sound. All of a sudden there is this rattling and bone came to bone. The knee bone was connected to the thigh bone. The thigh bone was connected to the hip bone. The hip bone was connected to the backbone. The backbone was connected to the neck bone. The neck bone was connected to the head bone. And all of a sudden these sinews came upon the bones. Flesh covered them. Breath entered into them. And this valley that was once full of dry, hopeless, helpless bones was resurrected and became an exceedingly great army. Why? Because the prophet spoke to the fallen. Because he preached the word of God. What wonderful things can happen when God's people declare the word of the Lord. But friends, there are even more incredible things that can happen in the lives of the fallen when God's people keep preaching the word of God. You see, even though this valley full of dry bones was resurrected and grew into an exceedingly great army, they still lacked hope. 
These bones cry out. Our, our hope is lost and our bones are dry and we ourselves are cut off. And so what does God tell his prophet to do? He tells his prophet to keep preaching, keep prophesying, keep telling them about me, keep telling them about hope, keep telling them about life, keep telling them about the redemption that I can provide. These bones still lack hope, and so God told his prophet to keep speaking. In Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse number 11, the prophet says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy, keep preaching, keep speaking, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. How wonderful is that? The Lord is going to open their graves. He's going to put his spirit within them, and they will be a redeemed and resurrected nation. What wonderful things can happen. Things just keep getting better and better and better and better for God's people the more faithful servants preach the word of God. What an incredible story. A valley that was once dry, hopeless, and dead has been resurrected into this exceedingly great army because the prophet of the Lord saw the problem, he saw the power, he spoke to the fallen, and he kept speaking. Today is December the 22nd, 2019. And as I consider the moral fabric of our society, I am appalled. As I consider the fact that we live in a world where it is now okay for two men to marry, I am appalled. As I consider the fact that we live in a world where men identify as women and women identify as men, I stand appalled. I am appalled as I think about the marriage covenant, how it has been broken, how it has been tarnished, how it is abused, how it is not taken seriously. I'm appalled when I think about the rampant sexual sins that are going on in this world. When I think about drug and alcohol abuse, I am appalled as I think about the fact that many of you have to raise your children and your grandchildren in this terribly twisted generation. And I'm even more horrified as I think about the state of the church. I'm even more horrified as I think about all of the young people that I grew up with. Most of them are no longer serving the Lord. Most of them have fallen away from the Lord. I am horrified as I think about the future of the church. Will there be preachers? Will there be elders? 
Will there be deacons? Will there be teachers? Will there still be faithful men and women who are shining their lights in this spiritually chaotic world? As I think about this, I am appalled. And I ask myself, can these bones live? Can the church of Christ survive? Can it be revived? Can my fallen brothers and sisters in Christ rise from the ashes and become a part of this exceedingly great army that God has desired for us to be? Can these bones live is the question. Yes. Yes, they can. The church of Christ can be revived. Your fallen brothers and sisters can rise from the ashes, and we can make this world a much better place. But it takes some effort on our part. Just as it took effort on Ezekiel's part for the nation of Israel to rise from the ashes, it takes effort. We, just like Ezekiel, must see the problem. We must see what is going on in our world. And there are many Christians who are unable and unwilling to see the problem. Oh, they, they, they see two men being intimate with one another. They, they see their fellow brother or sister in Christ going into that bar. They, they see all of these things that are going on. But friends, they don't recognize it as a problem anymore. So many Christians today have compromised with the ways of the world. They say, oh, if they're not bothering me, then it's no big deal. If they're not hurting me or my family, then it's okay. The government doesn't have any, any reason to, to, uh, to go into the lives of someone else. We can't control the lives of someone else. And so if the government doesn't care, then I don't care. Christians are saying those things. We are compromising. Listen to yourselves. Whatever happened to not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the power of God, renewing our minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to obeying God rather than men? Why are we compromising with, with men? Why are we compromising with this world? We have been called to obey God. We have been called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We have been called to stand out. We have been called to be different. We have been called to be holy as God is holy. We've been called to be more and more like Christ. And friends, God nor Christ ever turned a blind eye to sin. They never compromised with the world. They always saw sin as a problem. Jesus called sin out. In Matthew chapter 23, as he is contending with the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus sees the hypocrisy of the Jews, and he calls them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls out their sins. Jesus called it out, and he grieved over it. Later in Matthew chapter 23, as he is witnessing the corruption of Israel, he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets and kills those who were sent to it. How I wish I could have gathered you like a hen gathers her brood, but you would not hear me. You were faithless. You turned against God. I wanted to save you, but I couldn't. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Do you see it? When Jesus saw sin, he took it seriously. He called it out and he grieved over it. He never turned a blind eye to it. He never compromised with the ways of the world. He came to this earth 
in the form of man, carrying man's sins, his burdens, and his transgressions on his shoulders for 33 years. And he never, ever, ever compromised with sin. He took it seriously, and we must too. Because the wages of sin is death. It was sin that brought Jesus to this earth. It was sin that caused Christ to hang up on that cross. And it was sin that killed him. That's what our sins have done. And so when we look out into this world and we see sin, we must take it seriously. See it as a problem. That is the only way that this fallen world, the fallen church, and our fallen brothers and sisters in Christ will rise from the ashes and become the exceedingly great army that God has intended for us to be. We must see the problem, but not only that, we must be people who see the power. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel saw the power of God. He was in the presence of God. He recognized that with God, all things were possible. Do we realize that we are dwelling in the presence of power? God is power. In Mark chapter 14, as Jesus is contending with the Jewish religious leaders, they ask him if he is the Son of God. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Christ described God as power. God the Father is the epitome of power. We serve a great God. We serve a wonderful God, an awesome God, a powerful God, a God who spoke this world into existence, a God who breathed life into man, as David so eloquently said in his prayers, a God who stretched out the heavens and spreads them out like a tent for us to dwell. We serve a wonderful, awesome, powerful God, a God who is capable, a God who is capable of reviving this world that has fallen and reviving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen. We must recognize this and appreciate this. Change will not happen unless we realize that with God all things are possible. Change will not happen unless we recognize that we can do all things through our God who strengthens us. We must seek this source that is beyond ourselves, it is beyond this world, and it stretches into infinity and beyond. We must seek the source that is seated on his high and lofty throne, receiving all praise, all glory, and all honor. This is a very awesome and powerful God that we serve who is able to change this world and make it that exceedingly great army that he so desires. We must see the problem, see the power, and third and finally, speak to the fallen. If we want change to happen, then we must speak to the fallen. Ezekiel spoke to the fallen. He spoke to those dry bones a message of life, a message of hope, and a message of redemption. And we, in our lives today, if we want change to happen, must speak to this world a message of life, a message of hope, and a message of redemption. A message that was brought down from heaven in the form of a man. A man who came to this earth full of grace and truth. A man who is the way, the truth, and the life. A man who came to this earth doing incredible things, but in spite of all the incredible things, he was a man of sorrows. He was a man who was familiar and acquainted with grief. He was a man who men hid their faces from. They turned and hid away from him. In spite of all of the good that he did, he was despised and he was rejected. And he was ultimately nailed to a cross, crucified, and killed 
for sins that were not his own. But I am so happy today to say three days later, he rose with all power in his hands. He rose with the keys of death and hell in his hands. And he rose with the whole wide world in his hands, giving salvation and victory to all men. This is the message that we must preach. Go out into this entire world and teach this message to our fallen world. Tell the world about Jesus. Tell the world about the hope, the life, and the redemption that Jesus brings. And I want to say to you, if you have gotten to a point in your life where you don't feel as if the word of God is making a difference, then you are quite wrong. Your professor's thoughts and his feelings and his opinion won't make a difference in the life of someone. Dr. So-and-so's thoughts, his feelings, and his opinion won't make a difference in the life of anyone. And your thoughts and your feelings and your opinion won't resurrect a fallen world. It won't resurrect fallen brothers and sisters in Christ. God's word, God's word is the only source that will change this world. God's word is the only method of salvation. There is no other name. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. The word of God is the power of God unto salvation. The word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped, fully equipped, fully equipped. God's word is all that we need. It pierces the hearts of men, and it changes the lives of men. And if we want change to happen, if we want to revive a world that has fallen so far away from the world, if we want to revive our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen so far away from the Lord, then we must see the problem. We must see the power. We must speak to the fallen, and we must keep speaking to the fallen. Never, ever, ever quit. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the perfect opportunity to become one. Christ came to this earth from 42 generations. He suffered, he died, and he rose so that you may have life. He suffered, died, and rose so that one day you will rise. In 1 Thessalonians chapter the Apostle Paul speaks of how one day the Lord is going to return from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the clouds. That can be a reality for you if you obey the gospel. Hear the word, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repent and turn away from your sins, confess the name of Jesus, and have your sins completely washed away in the watery grave of baptism, rising forth, walking in newness of life done that before, if you've fallen away and you would like to make things right this morning, or if you have any other spiritual need that we can help you with, please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invitation.